Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, it's Angela Yee, host of Angela Yee's Lip Service. If you listen to my podcast, you know I love making space for women to be themselves. That's why I'm excited to be part of Women Take the Mic, iHeartRadio's celebration of the women who make music, influence change, and create culture. All month long, your favorite voices from talk radio, music, and podcasting will highlight the remarkable achievements made by women and discuss the most significant issues facing us today. Head to iHeartRadio.com slash Women's Day for more. And listen to Women Take the Mic on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Bob Left Sets Podcast. My guest today is the CEO of Artist Group International, Agent Dennis Alford. Dennis, good to have you on the podcast. Nice to be here, Bob. Okay, we were talking on the phone, and you said you were listening to the Rapino podcast, and he was talking about agents, and you wanted to give your perspective on what he had to say. So why don't you let it rip there? Well, I thought Michael had a lot of very intelligent and wise things that he said. Um, but the, the one factor uh, that I thought should, should be addressed was how the agency game is affected by the buying game of um, major touring companies. And a lot of times, the once say an artist uh, is repped by a Live Nation AEG, a lot of the artists don't see the need to have to pay the same commission anymore because a lot of the services that they provide are now provided by the promoter. So the A game, the A list, a lot of agencies have been affected by this and therefore it's very hard for them to maintain that commission level therefore the a game is very much threatened by um you know the big bucks that the major promoters uh, pay out okay you're the uh, agent for metallica metallica made an overall deal with live nation on their last big tour as the agent did you still commission metallica or were you squeezed out Yes, we still and we still have a relationship, but our our relationship was directly affected by their relationship with Metallica. Just to be very clear, you're talking about your financial relationship. Yes, that's all a financial relationship. Okay, so when someone makes an overall deal with AEG or Live Nation, what services does the agent still provide? Well, you know, it, it all depends on the agent or the agency i mean some agents i mean sometimes the agent just gets a free ride 
I mean, may do the routing, may participate in putting the packages together, may have overall marketing viewpoints, but um, many times, um, you know, but, but certainly the agent isn't going out there and most of the time making the building deals. The agent isn't going out there and, um, you know, and um, basically a lot of the agenting skills are negated by Live Nation or AEG. Okay. Just in terms of your experience, not only at your own agency, when people make the overall touring deals with a big corporate entity, do most of them keep their agent or most squeeze their agent out? I mean, sometimes sometimes the agent gets squeezed out. Sometimes the agent gets, you know, um, has a limited role. Sometimes the agent tries to act like they're very involved. A lot of times, uh, hey, there are, there are promoters within Live Nation who go to their touring, their national touring partners to buy acts locally, not necessarily to the agents. I mean, there are promoters who actually just buy within the, uh, the, their, own, their own promotion company to be able to secure acts. Okay, just to be clear, every level of act or just the superstars? Uh, I, well, uh, I would say uh, that can exist for every level of an act. But superstars certainly uh, are numero uno. Okay, let's, let's just assume whether you're getting paid or not the Live Nation or AEG is promoting the tour. Do you think that they do as good a job as what an independent agent would do making deals? Well, let me put it to you this way. Most agents are booking agents. And if if I was managing a superstar band that could sell out basically every arena or stadium, I would probably not need the agent because – most most pr- promoters are more fluent and more uh, educated about what's inside a deal than an agent. Most, many of the agents is uh, uh, you know, many of the agencies are in a volume business. They don't have the time to be into all of this detail. They don't have the time to focus on all the nuances that really go inside a deal. So, if I was a manager. And I had a superstar act. There's very few agents in the world that can actually um, know where all the bodies are buried in all the deals. You can count on one hand and not only know about it in, in America, but Europe, Australia, around the world. There's very few agents you can count on one hand that book the world. Okay, so let's assume you. Yes. Can you do a better job than the big corporate entity? And what do you do differently? Well, I can certainly, um, I have the ability to do as well um, as anybody. I mean, you know, earlier in my career, I remember one time I had a superstar film agent in the dressing room of one of my artists. And he says, oh, I'm not hitting on the artist. And it became my goal to never have Anybody, a promoter, anybody can say, I can get you more money for your artist than you can. So I made it my business to become an expert in the touring nuances and venue deals and all the ancillaries. There's the gross and then there's the gross gross. And I've become 
a student of that game. And um, I, you know, so when we have deals with some of our artists, um, if you can do better than me, then you're losing money. Okay. Let's just say in a perfect world, the band is offered a deal by a major entity or they could go market by market using you. Which would, way would you say to go? Me. Because? Because I have an overview of the whole world. Again, there's only a very few. There's a few promoters that have an overview, but very few have an overview of the whole world. And so I would... Um, and, you know, and then sometimes it's, it depends on what flavor ice cream you like. Some like vanilla, some like chocolate. You may like somebody else as opposed to me. You may like somebody else's personality. But at least we can compete on an equal playing field. And there aren't many that compete on that playing, that, that, that elite playing field um, that you can, you know, that, that, that most can compete with. And I think there's very few agents and there's very few promoters on that level. Okay, now if you're the act, Live Nation is writing you a check. It's their obligation to sell the tickets. Whereas if you go market by market, anything could happen. Okay, you could have a cancellation, you could have a COVID for some reason, sales are weak. So if you're saying, hey, I'm going to sell by market by market, someone else might say, yeah, if I take the lump sum, I'm guaranteed. I'm not quite clear what you're saying. I'm trying to say is let's say I'm an act. And I'm going to do a 30-day tour. And Live Nation offers me X. They're going to pay me that irrelevant of how many tickets are sold. Okay? They're guaranteeing me that. Whereas if I go market by market, are you saying that you can equal that guarantee? Sure. No problem. Sure. Hey, I could sell it to Live Nation or AEG. Okay and be the one still overseeing what's going on. And I still, I, listen, I live with Live Nation and AEG all the time. They're my partners in, 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 in many of my deals. But, it's, but the quarterbacking comes here from here, not necessarily from them. I may be directing how my artist should be presented, not having them tell me how my artist should be presented. So I'm directing the game we uh, yeah using um you know their strengths and 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 so uh, that's the difference is i can work with them except i'm quarterbacking as opposed to them quarterbacking me okay a couple of questions let's just assume go back to that 30 state 30 day tour in america live nation ag will say i'm writing you a check for x let's say you're saying the act don't take that check I'm going to go to independence market by market, okay? Assuming you do that, if you add up all the guarantees, will those equal the Live Nation guarantee? It doesn't have to be either or. It doesn't have to be independence. You can have the same result. And you can, you know, working with Live Nation or independence or AEG or, um, you know, you can have that same result without having to give up control. So that's what I'm talking about is, is control. They're your partner and it takes a village, but you don't have to give up control 
as opposed to somebody else buying the tour and they took control. They're determining which markets to play. They're determining what the prices should be. They may consult you, but with me, it's tries, I try to be, it's the other way around. I'm quarterbacking. Okay, let me try to drive to a very small point here. Let's say you're, you know, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, and you're going to get back together where you think you're, you know, you should go clean absolutely everywhere all over the world. Okay. Can you make more money making individual deals than you can if you take the lump sum? You can. You know, um, you know, when uh, the Metallica deal went down, I I was asked to review the deal and tell and tell the management whether the numbers were right. Were these the right numbers that we're getting? Are we getting what an act of superstar uh, caliber of Metallica? Are we making those kind of dollars? And the answer was yes, but I could answer the question. Okay, if you're making an overall deal, but I can break that. I can break that down individually to you know. So when I see the markets and the cities, and I see what all the deals are, I then under, I can take a look at it and say, yes, you are making the maximum out of these cities and out of these venues, or you're not. Okay, if you're making an overall deal, generally speaking, whether and there's two categories, you and the handful of other people who understand everything. Are you leaving money on the table to have a guaranteed sum? I think there's a risk reward. I think, you know, I mean, I, I don't think of it. Here's what I'm aware if I'm leaving something on the table, I'm aware of what I left on the table and I'm aware of what everybody's making. So pending on what your risk is, to me, has a lot to do with what your reward should be. If you, if, if there's, there are promoters that offer artists 95 fives and no guarantee, and they basically throw every side bet into the deal that they're going to make, but they're not taking, they're not taking much of a risk except paying the venue costs. Now, somebody who's guaranteeing somebody four or five million dollars a night or whatever the number is, that's taking a risk. So they may, you may let them, you know, um, take a, a greater, a greater profit. So you really, so that's, that's up to the, the, the artist, the manager, the, you know, uh, the agent who was ever involved to make that decision. But at least you need to have the knowledge of what the whole picture looks like before you can decide what's the fair game to play. Okay. You talk about this knowledge and a handful of people who have it. As we go forward, no one's going to live forever. Is this going to be a lost art or will there be new people with this knowledge? Are, you, are we talking about people or just agents or managers or promoters? We're, well, we're talking about people who don't work for the big corporation, whether they be individual agents or individual managers. I, I Listen, it's a skill set um, that uh, one can develop. And, and you know, if, if you, in my opinion, and there are people who maintain artists without for, that are superstars and they have a relationship and make money with people for a long time without having this skill set. I just think um, having the skill set doesn't guarantee you maintain or you even um, attract new relationships. But I know that it's, it's a, a very important tool in my box to be able to be successful in moving forward is having the skill set. 
Um, you know, my agents, I try to share information and for them to develop the skill set. And I've been fortunate. I've had some superstar acts that I've needed to have the skill set to be able to maintain my relationships. Okay. You talk about this skill set. Tell me a couple of things you learned or people need to know. Well, the, the skill set is, as I said, is at least certainly in the skill set from a financial point of view. I think there's multiple skill sets. I think you as an agent have to have a real sense of being a promoter. You have to understand how you want your artist and how that your artist wants to be represented in, in the world. So I think, this, I think the skill set is having a, a promoter mentality. I think your skill set is understanding the markets, understanding the difference between Atlanta and San Juan, Puerto Rico, and uh, San Francisco, and 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 understanding that, and understanding the climate changes in in, in different uh, markets throughout the world, and then it's developing a, a skill set. I mean, if you have a band that can sell out places. Um, everywhere in the country or uh, or in the world, you you need to develop a skill set to know the maximum dollars that you can make. Now there are countries and there are places you're never going to see what's really behind what really exists in some of these in some of these venues. And if that's the case, the only thing I can do is is really try to secure as much money from whoever um, I'm selling the day to, whether it be the venue or a, a local promoter. But um, I don't know. I think the art of that skill set, to some degree, has been lost, certainly in the big agency, because a lot of them have territories, a lot of them, um, you know, the, the, the requirements are different. But I just feel that as, a, 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 as an agent, as a representative of an artist, you need to know, um, you need to have this information so that they can be able to get the most from from you otherwise they can go somewhere else okay what are some of the markets where you really don't know what's going on with the money what are the markets i think uh you know it could be china i mean japanese is not necessarily easy to go to japan and you know try to see japanese backup and know what the uh what, what the actual costs are um you know more uh South America could be relatively difficult sometimes. Okay, you talk about being able to see all the costs. I have sat with a promoter with two sets of books, but they're showing the act and they're real net. Do they actually, you have to guess what's going on in their books? How much information are you actually getting and how are you getting it? Uh, I have a yeah, listen. There's no, there's not any more secrets anymore in terms of all the ancillary where, where all the money is. Because if you go into a venue, I mean, you know, there's the peanuts and the popcorn and the facility fees and the ticketing rebates and the and the suite tickets and the the uh, unmanifested seats and the parking and these are all the things you calculate. And everybody has has different economics in their particular facility, but uh, so. This is this. There's a lot of information. I mean, again, you there's the gross, and then there's the gross gross. I mean, I've 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 actually played buildings, gotten a hundred percent of the gross after tax, and have had the venue make hundreds of thousands of dollars. Just for the uninitiated, where did they make that money? Uh, ticketing rebates, uh, facility fee. 
merchandise, um, suites, parking. Um, trying to think what else, uh, you know, I might have what in general, that's, that, that's kind of the, uh, the base. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's go back to 1996 when we start to have consolidation. In retrospect, was consolidation in touring, concert promotion, good or bad for you and the acts? I'm not talking about the deals where they're making overall deals, just in general in terms of money and how the business is run. Well, it went from a millionaire's business to a billionaire's business is what really changed. It, it existed before. It existed with Concerts West and Jerry Weintraub. And so, you know, when Jerry Weintraub basically in Concerts West, they had a tremendous domination in, of, of superstars and, and A-list artists. So basically, they were doing it, you know, prior. Now, they had the Zeppelins and the um, the BGs and, you know, all the the Elvis Presley, all the A-list. So it really just continued, and it was just a buy-up of a lot of the major promoters. But it went from a, a millionaire business to a billionaire business. And, uh, and, and now Concerts West and Jerry Weintraub have been replaced by Live Nation and AEG. 
Well, needless to say, Live Nation is a company that worth that is worth billions, public company, but has the money trickled down to the acts and to you. Yes. And you attribute that to I, I think that Live Nation uh to maintain their domination has to pay the acts because they need they they, they need the inventory to feed all their um you know their sponsorships that they need to fill, to feed their business and i think they're very good at um you know at, at taking care of the artists that they that they acquire and represent okay staying with sponsorship just by owning or controlling as much as live nation does they make these overall sponsorship deals do you just have to shrug and leave that money with them or with a superstar do you try to get into some of that money well, again, you know, if there's a million dollars on the table and, you know, where there's a million two with all their money, you make your, your deal with how much of that million two can you get? You, you, you know, it's like they don't necessarily try to hide what they make. They but so that's your negotiation with them. It's like anybody. It's they, hey, this is we're making a million two uh, a night. You know, that's your negotiation with them. How much of that million two is yours? What's your negotiation style? Some people are screamers. Some people are quiet. What do you do? Well, you know, yours, listen, competition, you know, competition is the best. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a screamer. I was probably more of a screamer in my early days. I'm not a screamer, more a calculator. Uh, try to calculate or what's the best strategy and how I can make the maximum dollars. I also want want the promoter. I want them to make money. It takes a village. Everyone's got to win. So I approach it. The artist is my first concern. My acts have to win, and they have to feel that they're making the maximum money. But but the the, the promoter, Live Nation, AEG, they got to win too. And so so you look at the pot, and again, go back to risk reward. What are you risking, and the, what should you be rewarded? And now there's sometimes that that equation is very much in the favor of the promoter. Sometimes it's very much in favor of the artist, especially if the artist doesn't, you know, sell the tickets and the promoter takes a risk and they lose. But most of the time, um, but, but if you, but your job, I believe, is to have the knowledge about how the pot is getting divided. But you have to know what's in the pot before you can know what's divided. And my thing is, how many of us really know what's in the pot? Not a man, not that many. Okay, in the old days before roll-ups, frequently if you had a losing date, you would give the promoter money back because you had to be in business with them in the future, whether it be other acts or the act wanted to return. It seems like nobody gives money back to Live Nation. It's a public company. What's your take on that? Well, that's true. I mean, there's a certain security. Um, you want to work with people who are financially solvent. I do. I mean, I don't want to be looking over my shoulder, uh, concerned that my artist isn't going to get paid. And, um, and if there is that kind of risk, then I need to share that prior to making a deal. And, um, and, it, and payment terms uh, are very important in a negotiation. But being solvent is, is very important. I don't want to really be looking over my shoulder about being paid. And um, it happens very rarely now. It happens once in a while. And, uh, but, you know, prefer to be 
with people. And then, and, and if I'm not sure of somebody, we just ask them to pay the money up front, all of it. Okay. Let's assume, let's start at the beginning. Let's talk about the stack, things you know innately, but not everybody does. Let's assume you're, st- you're representing a superstar client. Do you ever tell the act, I think you should go on the road, or you're always waiting for the manager to call, and what's that conversation? As far as what the timing is of recording, of, of touring? Yeah. It depends. I, I mean, uh, you know, I feel uh, that I have the ability to, uh, sometimes people ask me what my job is, and I sometimes describe, sometimes um, I build the car, and sometimes I just put the gas in it. I have the ability and the talent to build the car, but sometimes you just want me to put the gas in it. So sometimes the artist, they're telling me, the manager is telling me what they want. And that's all. They may just want me to route a tour. They just may want my opinion on certain things. On the, on the other hand, an artist may say, put it all together for us. Show us what you would do. Show us where you would go. Show us who you would work with. Tell us the venues you would play. So it, 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 it's just a very individual thing. But, you know, I, having the ability to build it, uh, to build the car and have, you know, or sometimes, like I say, put the gas in it, whatever you need. But, uh, but I kind of have a menu to offer. In a perfect world, what do you prefer? I would generally, uh, if I think so, you know, listen, I, I work with some very, very bright people. And um, I, I have a, you know, I have a kind of a philosophy. It takes a village. And if you function as an island, you die as an island. So I prefer to function as a village with people. And, um, you know, some of, these, some of my artists have wonderful input. My, I work with some managers are very bright. They don't have to have my particular skill set, but they have different skill sets that, that, that I need for the artist's career to be complete. Okay, in the old days, everybody paid 10%. You know, everybody's looking for a discount today. So what's the deal there, especially with your menu of services? Well, I mean, you know, there are times, I mean, we had one client who came to us from uh, another agency, you know, uh, looked for a deal and ended up paying us more because of how much more they earned with us than they did with that previous um, agency. So, you, you know, that is, hey, you, hopefully people will pay you for what you're worth. Sometimes people overpay you, not all the time, but, and there are sometimes they get underpaid. But hopefully um, the artists and, and, and their team will recognize your value that you add to the equation and will pay you for it. Well, you said someone came from another agency. To what degree today is there rating and poaching of other agencies? Oh, I think that that, that exists always, quietly. I know people will deny it, but uh, that's a lot of bullshit. I think there's a lot. I think there's, I think internally in some of the agencies, there's poaching. Within there, you know, there's a lot of paranoia, you know, but, um, but you know, poaching always exists. I mean... You know, that's the DNA of a lot of agents. They see an opportunity or sometimes I'm, I, I could be, uh, I could represent an act and I'm hearing about another agent constantly knocking on the door. It's, it, it's there. It's, you'd be naive to think it's not. 
Okay, if you look at the agency landscape, you know, the big kahunas, WME, CAA, then on a tier below, you have UTA and Wasserman. And overall, I'm not talking good, bad, or otherwise, but your footprint is smaller. What is your pitch to go with you as opposed to these larger agencies? Well, as I said, I, you know, um, we have a, a worldwide knowledge. I think we're experts in the in the in the touring business. That we are the uh, maybe the only agency on a lot of levels that can really compete with the promoters in terms of of, of what that what an artist can make. I mean, I sat with one superstar agent from one of these agents agencies, and he said to me one day at a lunch, he says, "I wish I could do what you do. I wish I had the the time." to do what you do and um, and the focus because I got a thousand bands. I got to be a friend to, and you, you know, I always say a man with a thousand friends has none. You can be everywhere and know every deal when you got to, you know, your, your, your job is to be an ambassador to a lot of, a lot of acts. It's very difficult to focus on this kind of kind of detail. You're talking about at the big at the big agencies. The big agencies, yes. You're, you're saying the okay. Landscape. So uh, one of the pitches, irrelevant of the veracity, is you go with CAMA, WME, UTA. They're going to say, "Whoa, we're going to book your tours, but we're going to get you in television. We're going to get your sponsorship." What do you say to that? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. A lot of times it's a big air game. I mean, I, you know, I spent five years of my career at William Morris, you know, at a different time. And there was, there's a lot of, there's a lot of air to it. So that's, that's the game. I mean, you walk in there, you know, with nine agents and different film people. And sometimes the team really works. And sometimes it's just an air game. And sometimes people get disappointed. Hey, one of the problems, you can be at a, one of the major agencies and maybe it's, maybe it's the literary agent that's, that you go, this person's a dud. When I was at William Morris, there were some very, uh, you know, there were some agents that represented some very big artists in the film and television business. Some of them were quite capable and some of them were losers. And, um, you know, and, and sometimes you can get stuck with somebody from another area that you don't really want and you don't really think is, you know, it has its good and it, it's bad. But, uh, you know, a lot of it is there. Sometimes it's not. And it depends what the artist's needs are. But there aren't many rock stars who become major film stars. That's for sure. How much of your business is servicing as opposed to just doing the work? Showing up at gigs, calling people, sending presents. Is that important or is just the nuts and bolts important? Hey, some people have survived very well showing up, bringing gifts, uh, sending presents for the kids. You know, it takes all flavors. And sometimes that really works. That is not what I could depend and that's not my number one skill set. So if I had to depend on that, but I've seen others and I've seen other successful agents basically thrive that way. And I, I think it's amazing. I, I couldn't do it, but I think it's amazing. So let's assume you have a band that does good business for a year. If they're not going on tour for another year, how much contact will you have with the manager or anybody else involved? You stay in touch. Absolutely. But certainly, hey, the artists want to know the landscape. They want to know new information. They want to know who's doing well. They want to know... 
um, what's what, what what you see in the future for them. Absolutely, try to keep them informed. New things that are going on, new changes, gossip. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about new changes. Let's talk as we speak right now. COVID in the touring landscape. What's your take there? It's pretty fucked up. Um, I think that uh, the indoor situation is uh, very concerning at this time. And in, in the fact that uh, putting shows on sale right now is a very difficult climate. It's uh, a lot of people don't want to certainly sit indoors next to, um, you know, in a, in a closed quarters. So the indoor business is slightly altered. And um, the outdoor business, not as much, but it's very concerning. There are a lot of people who will not sit at a concert. So you gotta, you got to anticipate you're going to lose some percentage of people going on sale now. It's not, it's not a normal, what, 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 what was a normal on sale? It's not a normal on sale at this point. You know, if you sell out an arena, you might have been able to sell out too. If you, you got to figure you're going to lose 10%, you can lose 20%, you can lose 5%, but you're going to lose some percentage. This isn't an ideal time. Now, we, we all need to move forward, so sometimes we have no choice, but it, 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 is, it is a more difficult environment and climate right at this moment than it normally is. Uh, okay, so we're talking today. What do you see for the next couple of months? I think when kids start to get vaccinated, that will help loosen things up. I think the world in general is very difficult. It's very hard to plan a worldwide tour now, though some are doing it. But it's very difficult in terms of what countries are going to be open. And a lot of times we're just we're winging it. We're hoping it's going to be okay in March or April or, or next September. Uh, but it's 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 still a crapshoot right now. There's nothing that's defined with, that you can. Hey, Australia! I've got a a tour in Australia that was supposed to happen last February. That's now maybe it's supposed to start in March. That now may be moved to next March. So how do you plan a tour? I, you know, it's just it's it's very difficult at this point. You just have to. Um, I think you have to just be prepared when the bell rings to go. And then there are sometimes some artists are going to dictate to you what they want to do. And they say, let's go. We want to go in the spring. We want to go in the summer. We want to go in the winter. And it's a crapshoot. You may, you may try to, but you may not get there. Okay. Artist comes to you looking for your expertise today about touring within the next three months to a year. What do you tell them? You're better off at this moment, uh, I, if you can play outdoors, I would suggest that for the uh, late spring, summer. I would suggest that. I would just say, uh, and you would lose most probably some percentage of business being indoors. And you go and you take a big risk if you want to be indoors in January, February, March, the first quarter. I think the first quarter of this year is, is, is pretty screwed up. Already, I I think it's uh, it's it's there's, there's just an element of risk, and 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 the other problem is you go city by city, you have different rules everywhere, and the rules change. It's such a moving target. I'm going here, I'm going there. No, you're not going. There's this mandate. 
So hopefully, I can't predict how the the virus will, you know, uh, what the life of the virus will be. I don't think anyone knew or believed there was a Delta variant uh, eight weeks ago when shows started going back on sale. But it's just um, it's just a very it's it's a crapshoot. You know, and some people are willing to take it and move forward. And, you know, it used to be like, let's go out and celebrate on the road. Now it's let's go out and survive on the road. Okay. In the old days, you know, you tended, I'm talking about going back a couple of decades, people toured all year. Now a lot of stuff is concentrated in the summer. What's your take on that? Well, you know, there's first of all, there's more opportunities in the summer because of the outdoor events. So that's that's why there's a a greater concentration. Uh, obviously, whether it's um, um, fairs and um, you know amphitheater shows and um, festivals. Hey, weather weather when the weather is available for shows. It, that, that's why there's always, um, you know, weather plays a factor in opportunity. And so when you get to the winter, I mean, people can create indoor, you know, try to indoor events, but it's, it's, it's much more difficult. It's much easier to have a rib roast in, in Ohio, at, you know, in, in somewhere. And so there's just a lot more opportunity. And that's why there's much more touring in the summer. What about the issue of the on sale date and how much money people have? Let's start with on sale date. Used to be concerts, you know, could be a couple of weeks the tickets would go on sale. Now they go on sale two years before. What do you think should be done? Well, with COVID, uh, I mean, you know, you, you know, I'm a student of this game as well as, uh, you know, um, I, I, I practice it. I watch what others do. I mean, I, I watch, I watched the Elton John on sale where he actually went on sale in cities and play in stadiums and cities where he had arena dates to play prior. That was amazing to me. And he did well. So I learned from that. Can you really do that? Can you really pull this off? Can you, and nobody really knows prior to it happening when you, you get to, to gauge what the public does. So I'm a student and I'm always observing what I see and, um, and, 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 and all of that, feeds it feeds my brain as far as how how to move forward but um <clears throat> so right now on sales it's 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 a very unusual time because of the covid situation to be able to say this is how on sales should be i mean there are times i mean i might think of of going on sale 6 weeks in advance which which we haven't done in in, thir- in 25 30 years i might think now Let's go on sale six weeks for a show because our window was open where before I would not consider that. And I would consider being on sale over a year in front because the window was open now. Also, as time goes on and the COVID situation hopefully gets better, there's going to be a ton of shows. It's going to be a clusterfuck out there. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 join us march 20th live from the edge at hudson yards in new york city 
featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's assume, let's talk pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, what's a reasonable amount of time uh, the on sale before the date plays? Three, four months. You can go on sale October for a February show. And what do you think about the uh, the acts who go in it? on sale like a year before uh listen there's no one formula that guarantees you success uh listen a lot of times and and when i say three four months that's america europe it's very natural to go on sale a a year in front so uh, you know there's different parameters for different countries what's what's a norm here and what's a norm in australia is very different sometimes or what's what's a norm here or what's a norm in germany so uh, you just acquiesce acquiesce to what the population and and what the habits are of that particular country okay so there are people say hey i want my date to play earlier in the summer because the kids are going to run out of money do you think that's a factor i think that's a factor I think there are a lot of factors, I, I, you know, but that is absolutely a factor. How much competition's in the market? Who else is coming? You know, all of you know, yeah, all of this is is a factor. Um, oh, uh, you can live in a city that's being supported by uh, you know a major company that's moving out. There, there's a lot of factors, but uh, that go into an on sale. Competition is probably as as fierce as anything. How many other artists are going on sale in my genre? in that city speaking of genres you made your bones in the rock world 
Certainly in terms of the Spotify top 50, rock isn't even there. What's going to sell as we go forward? Well, I think pop is the only thing right now that's moving the needle. I mean, it's, uh, if you, right now you can build a career on, on having enough pop hits. And what I, what I've observed through the years now, it used to be, you'd be a teen flash and you'd be gone. I don't, that doesn't exist anymore. It's you have enough hits, Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, Spice Girls, these Backstreet Boys, new kids on the block. These artists have super careers, you know, and they were pop artists that, that and they were teen stars. And in the earlier days, they would have their run and they'd be over. Now the audiences grow with them. So uh, there's no longer that, uh, you know, so pop, so pop today, some of the artists, Bruno Mars, for the rest of your life, Pink, Pink, for the rest of her life, these people have careers the rest of their lives. There will be people seeing them in 40 years from now. And uh, they are the new Billy Joel's and Paul McCartney's and, you know, all, you know, these kind of artists who have tons of hits that uh, most of them will sustain and carry an audience with them for for a lifetime. And what about the hip-hop business? I think that will happen also. I think some of the, uh, you know, uh, Travis Scott, he could have a career for, you know, uh, I think his following will stay with him. Uh, Post Malone, I think a lot of these superstars, these people, people grow up in a certain period of time and they identify with the culture at that time. And that's what they remember. And, and, and then 20 years go by and that's what they, they, you know, that's what they remember that they went out with their girlfriend and they met here and they went, you know, and that's the soundtrack of their lives. And so I really believe a lot of the superstars will it will sustain for a long time okay let's talk about ticket prices on one extreme you have the stones who completely flex price it's almost like buying an airline ticket then you have other acts adele taylor swift trying to get every last dollar out of the market you have a superstar act what do you tell them? What are your protections? Metallica has certainly not wanted to overcharge or even, you know, play it what the market will bear. It, it, you know, it, it's an individual. First of all, the artist controls the picture. I, I make suggestions. It's, if, if, you know, it's, but you have to know sometimes when you may hit a wall and you may say, you know, dynamic pricing is, uh, I think, a, a very important feature to now be part of an on sale so that you can maximize your dollars when you uh, put a show on sale. But I really believe if you and people will flex and reduce the price. And But in general, I, I feel you want to max the dollars. I'm not comfortable. And again, it's up to the R's. But I'm not comfortable trying to have the public uh, being the one to whore as many dollars and be that kind of, uh, you know, solicitor. But again, I work for the artists. And if they want me to maximize every dollar any which way, I will do what they want. I will share with them my thoughts about, um, about potentially hurting your fan base 
Um, and maybe they'll care, maybe they won't, but it, all I can do is offer my advice and my opinion, but it really is up to the artist and what, what they want me to do, knowing, knowing the, uh, you know, the position. Okay. So you talk about high prices, do high prices hurt the ax career, their fan base? It can. Well, go a little deeper. It can, you can. You know, it can. I mean, if if you're pushing, I mean, if you're going to go push five hundred and fifty dollars, let's say a ticket or you know, you know, whatever, and that's what you're putting out there to public, you're gonna you're gonna hit a wall, and then you're gonna not gonna sell tickets, and uh, then you're hurting your artist. So there's different ways people try to disguise how they might do it: a platinum VIP. There's uh, there's all kinds of of ways to be able to obtain the dollars without necessarily prostituting yourself. So I, I am not a believer in prostituting yourself if you, um, and I'm also, you know, but, I, but the goal is to try to take as much money as you can and not leave it on the secondary market. I think dynamic ticketing, I think, the v, I think there are platforms that we have that help you take in most of the money. Okay, so those would be, you know, VIP, platinum, what else helps you take in most of the money? Uh, aisle seats. I think aisle seats now is a very big income earner. Uh, a lot of people would prefer to sit, you know, four seats in and would pay extra money. The, um, uh, you know, there's, so there's, uh, there's, there's many uh, different ways to uh, maximize. Hey, dynamic, dynamic pricing can, can basically get you what the market bears. And uh, so I, I would find that, um, you know, again, uh, I, I'm not in favor. I mean, some people will sell the first two rows a $1,000, and, and, and that's fine. That's kind of unique. But, and I, and I think it's fine that, you know, but I think, I, think, I think you want to avoid the image that you're prostituting yourself. That's all. Whatever works within the confines of your artist that, that doesn't prostitute yourself. Okay, you and me both know that the fees are outside of the deal so that the act can't commission them. So ultimately, Ticketmaster or whatever ticketing company takes all the heat. What is going to happen with the fees going forward? Well, I mean, I don't know ultimately where ticketing goes. And uh, I mean, I, you know, I have the fantasy that one day, that the artist will be able to have every artist will be able to have their own ticketing and be able to charge their own fees and do it directly and be in control of that and pick their ticketing company. I mean, I would love to see us have our own ticketing company and 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 choose that uh, going on sale. That's kind of out of, out of our that that doesn't exist yet, and I'm not technologically advanced to know how eventually that to happen, but. The uh, until certain bigger things change in, in, in the overall um, scale, I I don't believe I believe the fee game will continue as it is at the moment, but it's going to take a bigger picture to change it. As an agent, how much power do you have over the fees, and do you ever have acts who share in the fees? Yes, we have acts who share in the fees. It depends on the act. The act is the power. If you've got a superstar act, you can you you can you can participate in a lot of revenue. It's it's like if you're selling out a venue 
and I'm walking into your venue and I'm going to sell out 40,000 tickets. That's that you have building power and you can, you know, there's a lot of money to be made for the buildings. And so sometimes and the venues and the promoters. So in order to have you, they're willing to give up for it. What about an act that's further down the food chain? where it's actually a negotiation, where you know it's not going to go instantly clean in a stadium or an arena. Yeah, you, 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 have, you have less, you have less, um, uh, you have less power or um, negotiating strength in those cases. Hey, a lot of times, you know, you have an act that let's say can do 75, 80%. Hey, you, you, you know, sometimes your real negotiation is in your guarantee. Again, it's risk-reward. So, I, if I get them, if I can sell them all, I deserve, I deserve it all. If I can't, I don't deserve it all. I mean, I have artists that don't expect to make as much as some of my other artists. That's all they know. Well, this is a superstar. They will get this more than I will. However, I can at least tell them what the scoreboard is and try to get them as much within their ranks as they possibly can get, knowing what else is left on the table. Okay, let's go back to the beginning. Where are you from? I grew up. I, I grew up in uh, Bayside, Queens, basically. And what did your parents do for a living? My father was in the garment industry, and my mom was a homemaker with four boys. Four boys. Where are you in the hierarchy? I was third. I have a younger brother who's ten years younger than me, so I was a baby for ten years. Okay, and you graduate from high school. What's the next step? Uh, I went to uh, Nassau Community College, finished Nassau Community College in two and a half years. I met a, uh, I met somebody, a dear friend of mine, uh, Corky Abdo, from um, who used to play in a local bar band. When I w- and I used to go see the band. I was nineteen years old. I used to go to the club, see the band, and uh, we met at the. I didn't know he went to Nassau Community College, but we met at the college and. I was kind of a little lost in my world and he offered me a job to be their roadie, which I remember bringing home a van with equipment in it. And uh, my dad says, Oh, you're a moving man. And uh, (laughs) what what they learned from me is that I really wasn't very good with my hands and that I had a gift of gab. So about six or eight weeks later, I became their manager, which was really booking clubs in, in Long Island and New York city. And uh, that's really how I how we started. Okay. And were you a big music fan before that? I was a music fan, yes. As a matter of fact, when I, would, when I first went to one of the clubs and I had a job, and I said, wait a second, there's music, there's girls, they're getting high. This is, I could do this for a living? Are you kidding me? <laughs> so, yes, I was very attracted. As a matter of fact, when I realized that I could actually do this for real, and I, I was all in. I have found, I, I was very fortunate. I had found a passion and um, I wanted to be in this game. I wanted to play on a major league level. And I was, uh, you know, I was very committed to, I was willing to starve for it. That's basically where it's at. I was a musician. And, and was, did you starve? Yes, basically, yeah. I, I was I struggled for a long time. I lived on unemployment. I, I you know, uh, I had I, I had jobs in the music business. Um, I went from uh, well, my origin goes. 
when I was 19, I worked with the Salvation Navy. Um, that's how I met Billy Joel, by the way. They opened for Billy's band in the Hamptons. And Billy and I had a vibe with each other. He, we were both lifers. He saw me as this energetic kind of guy. And, I, and Billy was kind of the star in his, in his band, the Hassles. And I thought we can do something. And anyway, I went on from there. And wait, I, wait, just I, when, when did you start managing School is Done? school yeah once i got yeah i i lost i think i peaked in the eighth grade and <laughs> um i think it started going downhill from there and by the time i was in college i really didn't have a, a lot of interest in college i didn't uh i you know it was like i didn't have another place to go but i didn't really have uh i didn't really have a path I was kind of lost. You're managing Salvation Army Band. You're Maybe. Uh, right, and you're going to uh, you meet Billy Joel. Then what happens? Well, you know, I eventually got myself a job at um, this company called Universal Attractions, which still exists, and they were really uh, an R and B agency, and they wanted me to be like the white hippie department and go find bands. And I actually found this band called the Frost, who are from Michigan. Oh yeah, and and um, and so I was about twenty twenty one, and I was managing. I became the Frost manager. I went out and saw them, and I'm coming from this agency, and now I was being a booking agent at Universal, and here I am meeting this band, the Frost, and became their manager. And I was twenty one years old, and I remember we played Cobo Hall, which was the arena at that time in Detroit, and we were second on the bill because they had a real big following in the state of Michigan. And we were second on the bill. It was um, three dog night and uh, Frost was second. And I, there I am at Cobo Hall. And this was kind of, but I liked this, but it was a little bit over my head. But I, um, I was kind of, uh, so what, what happened is the band eventually broke up and there was a guitar player named Dick Wagner who was in that band. Oh, yeah. And Dick and I, Dick and I formed a relationship. And I tried to put a band together with Dick Wagner one of the, the drummer from the Salvation Navy and Billy Joel. Billy came down to one session and, and that was it. And, and he, he moved on to his own solo career. Dick um, and myself, and we had uh, this guy, Greg Arama from the Amboy Dukes. We formed a band called Ursa Major. We tried to, we rehearsed, recorded, and just when we were going to run out of money to keep the band alive, a, a producer named Bob Ezrin showed up. And uh, did an amazing, amazing job producing their record. And um, we were signed to RCA. And, um, but at the end of the day, it didn't work out. We disbanded. And I ended up getting a job at 23, making 100 bucks at an agency called Sutton Artists. And uh, the biggest contemporary act was Arlo Guthrie at the time. And again, I was like, go out there and... Um, you know, and find acts. And what they did let me do, though, because in between this experience, I also promoted concerts at SUNY Newports where I met whoa, my whoa, wife, Molly. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're promoting <laughs> concerts. Where's the money coming from the SUNY pool? No, well, what happened is um, my, my, I go back to my friend Corky. He, he found two dentists. They gave us $25,000 wow. to promote concerts at SUNY Newports. And this was goes back to like 73. So I bought Frank Zappa. I overpaid. I overpaid for everybody. I was a of terrible course. buyer. So I lost all their money. 
and and but I did make relationships with the people at New Paltz and eventually at Queens College, and they let me be their buyer, buy their concerts and paid me a commission. And the agencies at Sutton, they let me do that to subsidize my salary. And what I kept doing is buying Billy Joel because now Billy had a hit single and I had a, you know, and, and we had a connection and a, and a relationship and he was with another agency. And I was like, Jesus, I really want to work with Billy. And, and when I heard the Piano Man album, I was just, I mean, I was blown away. I didn't know that this guy was talented. I knew he was something special, but I didn't know he was this special. So I was kind of blown away. I was a fan. I thought he was an amazing artist and I really wanted to work with him. And that was one, that was the way I kept it going was, um, I kept buying him. I kept seeing him at Queens College at New Paltz and, you know, we continued. Okay. So you're buying, you're staying in business. You're buying Billy Joel. Keep going. So I, I, I so I stayed in touch with Billy and, um, I'm working as certain artists and I seen Billy and, you know, one day I went up to his house and he told me, uh, you know, I should go speak to his wife, Elizabeth, at the time. And uh, I, and at the time, it was a kind of a, an ironic thing that happened. There was a festival in Marcel, France, a jazz festival, and we represented Herbie Mann and Tony Williams' Lifetime. And so, and Elizabeth was working on this festival herself. So we both went over to southern France, and we didn't go to the festival. We went to Saint-Tropez together. And I knew at that weekend, and now Billy's career at that point, uh, he had this was he put out his third album, is kind of not really making them, you know, taking him to the next step. And there was internal change going on, and uh, and that's why Billy suggested I meet with Elizabeth, and and uh, Elizabeth and I spent the weekend together, and, and we became close friends. And I knew that weekend I was going to be Billy's agent. And um, on August 16th, 1976, me, Billy, and Elizabeth had a mock meeting in their townhouse. And we both voted for me to be the agent. And me and Elizabeth voted for her to be the manager. And I left Sutton Artists. I, uh, they wanted me to be in business on my own. So I started, they were home run management and I was home run agency at the time. And that's how my career Okay, started. wait a second. Did you think you were up to the gig? Yes. Yes. I was, uh, as Gary Busey said to Joe Cocker one night when I was there at the Greek theater, success is when opportunity meets preparation. I was well prepared. I understood. I was somebody, I was a student of this game. I was a sponge. I understood what to do. I had a philosophy about what to do. Uh, you know, it was like, and nobody knew me. I was a nobody. So it was like, why are you going to this guy? I mean, you know, and uh, I remember one time they they had me meet with their attorney and he just quizzed me to see if does, does he know what he's doing? And the answer was yes. And I had a philosophy when I started with Billy it was like, we're not opening for anybody. You know, if we play 1,500 seats, if we play 2,000, you don't open for anybody. You go headline. Because when you go headline, they'll come back and we'll get 2,500 the next time. So that became really, a, there was a real philosophy about how to how to do this. But I was prepared. I was prepared for an opportunity. Though I was only one who knew it. Okay. Or if you did. You're on home run. I mean, you have your home run agency. It's a very tight network. 
Are you on a percentage or they give you a salary to start? Yes, yes. No, actually, um, when I first started, I went from like, I think I was making 150 and I went to, to, to 500. Wow. Like on Friday, I'm making 150 on a Monday. I'm making 500. It was like, I can get rid of the Toyota. I got a Cougar. I moved into the city from Queens. I mean, it was a life changer, but it wasn't, I, you know, it wasn't like, Hey, you made it, but it was the beginning of, 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 of seeing a new world. Okay. You have the home run agency. When do you start signing your acts in addition to Billy and who are they? Well, we, I ended up signing Phoebe Snow and Harry Chapin and Garland Jeffries. And, um, you know, then, uh, and, and then, um, I, I, I got, uh, the beach boys and, uh, actually he's doing quite well. And then uh, I lost the beach boys and I lost Harry and, and then, uh, in 1981, you know, um, I was, I didn't know if I could, um, sustain an agency, sustain a business. Elizabeth was now out of the picture. And so I probably out of fear of not being able to sustain myself. I went and worked at William Morris for five years. Okay. Was Billy cool with that? Yeah. Okay. So did you approach them or were they to approach you? Uh, I don't remember how their relationship uh, worked out. I was available. I had been approached by others before. But uh, I remember, though, um, I was at William Morris for about three weeks, and I had a body tremble. It was like, it was like, it was just, it was just the wrong fit. But it was very educational for five years. I, I understand, I learned a lot as far as how it worked and, and, um, you know, a lot of the bullshit and, you know, I met some very uh, wonderful people and people became stars in, in their fields. And, and, uh, I, and I learned a lot of the bullshit that existed there and, and, and the bureaucracy and, 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 and how these guys would, I remember one time when I was gone and you know, I ran into one of the senior agents on a plane and he's introducing, introducing me as an alumni and I'm going alumni, I fucking quit, you know, but, uh, you know, but it was a good experience in the fact that it, it, it just, uh, it exposed me to a world that uh, I really didn't know about. Okay. And did you make good money? Well, not really. I remember one year I was making about $150,000 and I bought in a million dollars in commission. I mean, literally a million dollars. This is in the early 80s. And I got a $25,000 raise. And I remember one of the other agents, because at the time, the agents that were in the music agents of William Morris, most of them didn't have any real clients. It was really a hodgepodge of, of people. And they, their game was to beat the management. You know, let's not, they weren't, um, they weren't trying to get an act. They were trying to fool the management to keep their jobs. And one guy says to me, hey, man, we should just be happy we have jobs. And I'm like, <laughs> wait, 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 you know. But that, with that, that day, I knew I was done. I was out of William Morris. This is never going to work for me. You know, they would, it was just, uh, they, they didn't take care of the people at that time. They, that wasn't their, their, their mantra. So I left. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. 
Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, how long did you contemplate leaving and what did you do for startup funds for your new agency? Well, Rodney Dangefield, who was my client, said to me, I mean, he had a real prejudice. He felt that the senior agents, William Morris, used to abuse him. He was just not a fan of theirs. And he hated paying me 10% and going to them. So he told me one day, if you don't get out of here, I'm leaving. I'm not, I'm not. Uh, and I had a bunch of different circumstances come around. And, and obviously, I just said how they didn't really take care of you. So I, I was going to leave. And it took me about a year, year and a half. I was waiting on, I, I had pursued some, another client that I was trying to get. That ended up not working out, though I was promised a client, but it didn't work out. And I finally woke up and said, hey. I, I'm out of my mind. I should be out of here. And Rodney was the one who advanced me $43,000 to start my own business. Mm. And believe me, he told me for many years how I owed him. But, <laughs> he, he, but he did advance me $43,000. And um, I remember uh, Adam Kornfeld has worked for me for over 40 years. We hopped out of, he, he hopped, we hopped out of uh, William Morris and opened up uh, an office across the street and our clients were Rodney, Billy, Ted Nugent, um, I think John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band and the Beach Boys. And uh, we had a little bit of a, we had a little bit of a game going. Okay. Just for a second. 
what was Rodney really like? And this was when he really started to make it. And how, to what degree were you involved in that? I was very close to Rodney. Um, I, I was 31 when I started representing Rodney, and I think he was 59. Rodney was a young man's comic. I mean, he can relate better to me than he could to a contemporary. We were more on the same page. And he, his DNA was, uh, he, it was all comedy. He was just, uh, I mean, he, first of all, nobody made me laugh like he did. I mean, when you're hanging with somebody and he was fast and things he would see, you, he was, it was just extraordinary. He was just absolutely brilliant. But he also taught me very clearly how to be rich, famous, and miserable. And, um, you know, Rodney was also very depressed, came from a very difficult background with his mom and stuff. But he was a brilliant comedy, a, a comedian. He introduced me to the world of comedy. He, I would travel with him and, um, you know, many times. And, uh, he, you know, he made good money. He was always, you know, he's, we would play casinos. And um, I had a lot of great, wonderful experiences with Rodney. I was with Rodney till, for 23 years until he passed. And as a matter wow. of fact, I, I always remember when I went to his funeral, um, I probably hadn't cried in years. And I saw Rodney's daughter, Melanie, and um, she, we hugged and I started to cry. And she said, he trusted you. And, um, but I think of him and I quote him many times in my life. I think of lines that he said, you know, uh, what am I sweating for? I got the job. I think about that all the time, how about how I approach life. Because a lot of times, I got to remember, I, I, I got the job. I already won. And um, I don't have to function with that fear and uh, that might go into a situation. So, how, To what degree were you involved in his film career? Very little. I mean, uh, actually, the woman, he had a manager, Estelle Enloe. Uh, who actually produced and oversaw the easy uh, the uh, back to school, which was his biggest success, and uh, she passed. She died of cancer, and once she passed, I felt that the film career went astray. Rodney became the manager of Rodney, and you know that had limited success. But he was a phenomenon, of course, and he was he really made his bones on late night TV. To what degree would the manager handle that? No, there was really, there was once Estelle passed, there really wasn't a manager. I mean, uh, I remember when Jay Leno, he told me, Jay Leno, he had an open invitation. He can go up on Jay anytime he wanted. He really, uh, he was a godfather. He was a godfather. He was, and he was the godfather of the young comic. I mean, he, you know, I, Andrew Dice Clay, who we still, we still work with and love Dice. I mean, I got him from Rodney and, you know, um, he, all of these, whether it was Kennison, Seinfeld and Roseanne Barr, and it was just a who's who. Those HBO specials were just amazing. And, and, and he loved the, the, the talent. They were like his children. Okay. So now you have your own agency and you're calling it what? QBQ. Because quality before quantity. Because after my experience at William, I remember one time we had, there was a meeting and there was a, uh, an artist that uh, the fair guy, the fair department wanted the agency to represent. Nobody wanted to represent the guy, but we ended up representing him. And I said to myself, can you imagine if the artist only knew that nobody wanted him, but here he is, the fair agent is pushing him and that. 
And I and so the philosophy of quality before quantity is, which is really a philosophy of mine anyway. What's just like, um, so that's how, so we we were QBQ. That's that was how we started. And what played out at QBQ? QBQ um, actually, and we started in '86, and 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 in '88 was we just boomed. I mean, we started really making money. I mean, we had the Dirty Dancing tour, which was just huge. I mean, we sold out eight Radio City musicals with just an ad. I mean, so, and that came from a client, Eric Carmen. It, it, it tipped me off about that. And Debbie Gibson exploded in 1988. And, 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 and Billy obviously was a continued superstar. So we were just, we were just rocking. We were just smoking and, you know, um, and, and, and that, you know, that continued. Um, so the, the agency was, was basically very healthy in the, in the early nineties, we got, uh, the, the Q prime guys brought over their rocks to us. So that became Metallica and Def Leppard and, um, you know, and, uh, you know, Tesla and, and their roster. So that became a part of, you know, and then, um, Alan Kovac, who had been a very close associate, he gave us, we were introduced to Motley Crue and, and, and that, so, you know, we just had uh, established, we, we established a, a relationship or credibility of, of being very good at what we did. And um, there were a lot of, you know, and, and people were drawn to us and we were hustled. We hustled people. We, we went out hustling and worked very hard to, uh, to get clients. And, um, and it was, and then, then in the late nineties, I, I sold the business to Bob Silliman. Okay. But he didn't end up buying all the other agencies. People thought he was going to roll up the age. What was going on there? Well, we were, we were going to do it. We did. We had five agencies under our umbrella and, um, then Bob sold the clear channel. And, uh, he, he said to me when he sold, you know, we had five, there was you know, he paid everybody's lawyer's fees and, and, you know, that put in the time and energy. And two of the agencies, uh, which was ITB and John Giddings, continued and made deals with Clear Channel, which became Live Nation. So they continued. The others didn't happen, but Bob paid the legal fees. And, um, and he took care of me. He gave me my business back, which I was only there with him for two and a half years. And he gave my business back and he paid me. Start from the beginning. Why did you make the deal? Well, it was at the time of the roll-up. I, I just saw it as, a, as an opportunity to, uh, besides make money, um, I, I just saw it as, uh, I, I liked what he was doing. I thought he was making smart buys. I mean, at that time, buying Pace and Celador and uh, Delsner and Kopolik, I mean, I thought he was, he was, he was, he was making good picks. So I wanted to be part of that team. I was interested in that. And um, I remember um, meeting with Mitch Slater and, um, you know, he says, you always make money. And then he introduced me and I had a meeting with Bob and uh, Bob was talking and they have the meeting was Rodney jokes. And uh, Bob made me an offer and um, I became part of his team. Okay, so it ends with the sale. You get your business back. What goes on there? Well, my experience was so good that I was open to be acquired again. 
<laughs> and and actually, it did happen uh, several years later when um, I made a deal with Ron Burkle. Uh, my son Jared came into the business and he said, "Hey, if I'm going to come in, I want to grow the business, and we needed to find a rabbi." And uh, so we spent, uh, you know, Jared came in. As a matter, of, we'd have financial people. I would be saying well, where do we leave off with this one? What's the status of this one? But we started to realize that we needed somebody who understood or had a sense of the entertainment space, not somebody and not just people who were financial people, but people who at that time could certainly understand uh, the entertainment space. And we identified Ron Burkle, who had interest in that space and investment in that space. And we took some meetings and um, our lawyer knew somebody connected to Ron. And, you know, and, and 10 years ago, we made a deal with Ron. And was he an eager buyer or you had to sell it to him? I think it was mutual. I think, the, I think timing's everything. I think they were open to expand in their entertainment uh, game. And, uh, and I had such a great experience with Bob Silliman, you know, uh, that w why wouldn't I want to do this again? Right. So, ultimately, you know, Burkle didn't buy other agencies. What's going on there? Well... We've, we've done two deals since then. You know, we've done several deals. We brought in Marsha Velasic, who's a superstar agent and has a major uh, roster. And we brought in K2 from England with John Jackson, who has Metallica and Iron Maiden worldwide. And then we just made a deal in association with X-Ray, who represents Coldplay and Gorillaz and um, Eminem. So uh, we've made some, some uh, major inroads over the, uh, you know, um, you know, we're not, we're not trying to be, um, you know, we, we're not trying to be CAA, but we've made some, uh, I think, some very calculated, smart, intelligent moves with some great people. So who are you trying to be? We're trying to be prepared. I mean, you know, I, I, I one time, like, I, I believe ultimately that, um, you know, if there was ever you know, just like in the philosophy of, um, I, we started this interview out and we talked about the A artists being compromised in, in the agency world because, you know, the, the artist didn't want to pay for the same services or similar services twice. And I felt that the only way that if that, if you're, if you're going to be threatened or your business is going to be threatened, then you may have to get into the promotion business. And why should I lose an artist to somebody that I've developed and have a relationship with? I have a foresight because I just don't have the money to go compete. So um, by now having a lot of, you know, agents that have relationships with their artists, that, um, you know, that kind of at the same time, as much as we're building an agency business, we're building, you know, well, we have the accessibility if we need it to be in that space, we can be in that space. We can play in that space if we have the, as long as we have the resources. It's not necessarily where I'm going, but it's a possibility. Okay, so you're saying theoretically, if you want to go in the promotion business, Ron has deep enough pockets to support you. Ron can, and you know, if Ron shows that, that that's you know, it just it, hey, Ron's available for an opportunity. There are some great opportunities now. 
I, you know, as, as, as long as it works out with others, we don't need that. But if it didn't and our business was threatened, then I think we got to step up to the plate. And I think you got, you know, and I think to be aligned with others and hey, and, and if, if I can give my artists the same opportunities as somebody else, why wouldn't you want to stay with me who you already know? So you're saying there's room for more competitors beyond a, at a major scale beyond AEG and Live Nation, if necessary. If the agents now 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 as long if the agents don't want to promote, the agencies don't want to promote. Well, that's their that's their choice. But I think that's the only way to eventually um, neutralize the game. I mean, otherwise you you know you're always going to be the tail wagging the dog. But you know. What would be the trigger to go down that road? Keep taking my axe. Keep, you know, I, if I can't compete, if I can't compete with you and, I, and I'm going to, you know, become somebody that was making, you know, seven figures a year and be reduced to, uh, you know, to, uh, to, you know, to, to, you know, to a small sum of money, you're, you're, you're now costing me my income. You're taking my living away. So how, how am I going to protect myself? I got to compete with you. And why do I want to give up these primary relationships? Because you have the resources that I don't have. And yeah, maybe agencies don't want to take risks. And I understand that, but that's the game you're in. And how did you convince Marsha to come with you? I think that, I think what we offered is the, um, I think Marsha can be an independent within an organization. She's, she's Marsha doing her thing. But she also has us, and she has a bigger picture and, a, and, and other players when she wants to. And she doesn't have to have us when she does. She's, you know, it's like it's, she's, she's an independent and, and, and a part of a bigger picture. So she can draw from our resources, other experiences, what other artists are doing, but she's able to run her own business. So your CEO, you essentially never tell her how to run her business. No, I don't tell her. I, I share with her. I talk to her all the time. We share information. She'll bounce things off of me. I'll bounce things off of her. We're, we're friends. We're, and, but I don't tell her what to do. Okay. And with the English company, what's the history there? Same thing. I mean, it's like I, I think our philosophy is we want to give everybody, hey, we want to encourage the entrepreneurs and the star agents to be star agents. We're just, we're just giving you an umbrella with certain resources that you can, ex, you can extract from. So we really encourage. I, I, I try to avoid all the politics. I mean, listen, it's not my business, but at some of these agencies, you'd be surprised how many unhappy people there are. People who are miserable politically, it's a mess. And it's not out there. And there's a lot of honesty about that that's not out there. But there's a lot of very unhappy people. And a lot of people stay there out of fear, comfort, all that kind of stuff. But I'm, I try to be, if you're a star, I try to, we try to encourage your independence. We try to encourage, you know, the best of both worlds, security and independence at the same time. Well, you know, it used to be, that especially in the 70s, you know, music was huge income for these major uh, agencies. Now the agencies are really like, you know, in sports, the UFC. I mean, what's going through the head of these agents? They're music agents. They're getting no respect. 
Well, not in my world. You know, I mean, you know, and, and God bless, you know, the entrepreneurship and, um, and I, uh, you know, and, you know, and how they've diversed and, you know, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I admire what many, many people have done. However, um, that's not where I am. I'm not, I'm not some of these people. I am a, a music business empresario. I am not in the sports business. I'm a sports fan. I'm not in the sports business. I'm not, you know, we have, we have alignments with people. We have a sponsorship group that we, that we have an alignment with, but I, you know, I, I admire and God bless, but I'm not in the shoe business. I'm, I'm in the music business. I have a lane. I have a niche. I have a way of, of, of what I know and what I'm an expert in. I'm not a, uh, you know, I'm not a jack of all trades. And the way you tell your story is a little different from other agents. Other agents tell the story, oh, they were going out six nights a week, networking, looking for talent. Did we not hear that or that you didn't just didn't do it that way? I did it that way. Um, I mean, hey, I'd, I'd go to L.A. and I'd go to Howard Kaufman's and I'd visit people. I was chasing all the time. I, w- I never considered myself uh, a great signer, though we, we ended up having, you know, a, a, a very good roster. But I, you know, I would be out there. I mean, uh, but there's different ways of being out there. And um and, uh, you know, and that evolved and, and then you grow your business and we've had a lot of people have been with us for a long time and they'd be out on the street and, and, and sometimes you parlay, you really, you know, you have a relationship with one manager and he signs bands and he loves your work and all of a sudden you're representing more bands from their roster. So there's just many ways to uh, uh, obtain a roster and, uh, hey, there are some, some agencies, let's hire 50 agents and see what sticks to the wall. I mean, we haven't been that kind of, uh, that's not been our modus uh, operandum. But, hey, there are other, uh, I would like to be in the country business. Now, am I personally going to be in the country business? Not really. But if I can find and, and, and the superstar agent that would seek what we offer, um, and, you know, that, that would be the way I'd want to be in the country business. I wouldn't necessarily myself start going door to door. But I need somebody else who's a superstar who has, who can go beyond the big agency or feel that, you know, would, would have the, uh, you know, kind of, I guess, the courage, the entrepreneurship and the, the spirit to, uh, to make a move. I mean, there aren't very many independents out there anymore. I think everybody's looking for a safety net. So how many people work for you in New York? 22. 22. And how many are agents? 10. Okay. Now you're only one person. So how much can you handle? And if I sign with you, are you doing the work or somebody else doing the work? Um, both. I mean, uh, sometimes, sometimes I'm the parent. Sometimes I mean, we signed the band. Why don't we, uh, the boy band, which I believe is going to be, uh, you know, a superstar band. I'm right in there. We represent them worldwide. I am right in there. I'm there with uh, with my my son Jared and with uh, Adam Kornfeld, and I, I'm I'm right in there doing the work. I mean, but again, it takes a village, and I have different relationships within different networks, and um, and uh, so, but uh, yeah, I you know sometimes I'm the parent, sometimes, but I delegate well. I'm a good delegator, but I also am the radically on, and, and I oversee. Okay. What's your personal future? Are you going to do this till you drop? Listen, 
I got, you know, we have uh, the last year we were supposed to have the Def Leppard Motley Crue's uh, Poison Stadium tour, which was part of the biggest tour in America last year. And I was just hugely successful. And now we're next year is going to be the third time that this thing is going to be rescheduled. So here we are and Billy Joel doing stadiums and Metallica doing stadiums. I mean, why would I want to let go of this? This is a blast. I mean, to me, what an orgasm it is to walk into a stadium of 40, 50,000 people and your artist is playing and I'm having a blast. So why would I want to, you know, it's like if you said to me, if I could still pitch baseball and win 20 games a year and and, then you said to me, hey, when are you going to retire? As long as I could keep, if I could still win 20 games, why would I, I'm having a blast. So I'm having a great time. If you told me I had to book bar bands, and, and, and crawl my way. I don't know if I could do that, but I could do this. This is fun. Okay, and you're doing this. Is this 24-7 or do you have any other interests? I, 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 do. I, I, have, other, I have another life. I, you know, I, um, I play golf. I still pitch softball. I don't know how long that will keep going on. I'm a big sports fan. Um, I have a lot of, you know, some very significant other. I'm very close to my family, my daughter and my son and my grandson. And, and, and um, so I'm a very close family. And I have some very, very close friends that have nothing to do with the business. Um, one of my best friends is a shrink. And uh, sometimes I'll sit there with him and I can talk to him and, and get a whole different perspective. Of the, of the world psychologically or what, why, what people are thinking in a way I may not, not have seen something and uh, find it, um, you know, uh, find it very intriguing. So I, I have a network of which most people really don't know of people that just have nothing to do with my daily world. Have you ever been in therapy? Yes. As a matter of fact, my therapist, my, my buddy Mark, um, who I, I drove with him from New York when he went to the School of Psychology in San Diego. And he, um, and, and, and I watched Mark, he had to go through analysis and all of this to, um, you know, to, to become a doctor. And I watched him go through this whole process, but he, and he was getting so happy. It was like he was really working himself out and really understanding himself in a very deep level. And I says, man, I love this shit. And, um, and so my therapist for seven years was, uh, one of his teachers really? and, uh, Stanley was just brilliant. I mean, Stanley wouldn't give you much, but Stanley, you know, definitely helped me sort out a lot of, um, you know, parent understanding and, um, parent issues. And, um, it paved the way, um, uh, for, for, for me to have a, a happy life. I, uh, I took a lot of uh, lessons out of that. And, um, I, I'm, you know, wisdom is very important to be smart. You be smart about yourself. Being emotionally healthy is very, very important to me. And to surround your people that kind of support that. Like when I go out with my buddy, my shrink friend, Dr. Mark Minson, and we're talking, I mean, sometimes I had the stimulation and the things we get into, and he talks to me about his patients, and it's just uh, all that stuff. To be, to be worked out and to be emotionally happy is, uh, is a journey of life, and I, um, you know, that's, that, that's the essence of, of who I am. I want to be happy. How many times have you been married? Once. 
I'm married to my lovely wife, Bonnie, for 42 years. We've had two children. And um, hey, we have a good, we, I have a great life. I'm very blessed. You're married in the late 70s. Yes. You know, this is a business that demands a lot of time. How is she with that? Bonnie, uh, Bonnie, Bonnie vicariously plays this game. I mean, she doesn't live, you know, she can sit here with me and she has, um, you know, the beginning she traveled with me and went with me. Now she doesn't go so much. Hasn't been gone for, for a while. And she said to me, um, a bunch of years ago, um, or it was said to me not too long ago. She said, Oh, I stopped going with you when you made it. I never <laughs> knew that she realized that I had made it. She didn't, uh, but, Bonnie was a great asset. And uh, first of all, I, I needed to marry a woman who wasn't depressed. Um, I, re I remember one time uh, taking a, a beautiful woman to see Eric Harmon at the bottom line. And this woman wanted to make it with Eric Harmon, not me. And, you know, and I, I and, but I needed, I need somebody who, who, who got the game, but wasn't impressed. And that was Bonnie. And I could take Bonnie. She could work a room. The girls would always love her. It would be Billy's band and the wives, and they always liked her. She was bubbly. She was up. She was beautiful. And I remember when I, I went to William Morris and uh, for the first meeting, and I'm sitting there with the chairman on the West Coast, and he's hitting on her. And he was sitting in the meeting, and this guy's <laughs> trying to get laid with my wife right there. But you know, but Bonnie was, um, she was, a, you know, she was just a great asset that way. And she understood the game. She still does now. She sits there and gives me her, her opinion sometimes, you know, many times, you know. And so she's, she, it's almost like, it's like I'm a board game to her. <laughs> she just, you know, comments and who she likes and who she doesn't. And this is smart and whatever. But she's, she's been, uh, and I've only been lucky with Bonnie, you know. So it's been a... Uh, it's it's been a great relationship when we've raised two beautiful children and my son who runs the company and uh my 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 confidant and um and my daughter and and it's just it's just been uh i've been very blessed and though i'm on the road um i mean you know i i'm doing what i have to do and uh but my base my my home base is is been a very stable factor of my life how'd you meet bonnie I met her promoting concerts at SUNY New Paltz. And we, and we had a guy who was our box office. Our box office was you walk into the entrance of the, of the, of the main building and there was a booth and we were selling tickets for Poco, Zappa, Judy Collins. And his girlfriend um, was Bonnie's roommate. And one day we had a party after the Poco show and I saw her and I, and I walked in with my buddy Corky and it was like, oh man. I, you know, so we had a, a kind of a rocky courtship for a few years, but then um, we got married in uh, 79 and, um, you know, and I look back and I look back at the, the pictures of us and I go, man, was she, what a great choice I made. Was she hot? But she's still hot, but she was really hot. But anyway, that was important to me. She was intelligent. She was beautiful. And, uh, and, and, um, and she was a great mom. And that's really what she wanted to do. But when the first few years of our life, if she had a career, she would never have been with me. She, you know, we would never have been together. If she, we would have been apart. So, um, you know, there's good and bad sometimes when your wife works and doesn't work. But 
I kind of encouraged her to follow my path and she did. And, you know, and so we had a lot of experience together. We, we went to, we went around the world. We went to Australia and Israel and Japan and took our son. And, you know, we, we, we did a lot of the road and eventually I'll tell you one thing that was very funny with Bonnie when she knew it wasn't for her. We were, when I was representing the beach boys, I mean, we went to Buffalo, got there, checked into the hotel four hours later, do a day show gone Bonnie, come on we're leaving we have another show tonight in toronto she goes this isn't for me (laughs) (laughs) you know so but um but no she's uh hey that's very important you have to have the uh the right woman to handle the temperament and you gotta have a balance i I was always you know sensitive to like I, i wasn't i wasn't somebody if i was a road manager she could never have made the the marriage work but as a um, as an agent, I didn't, I didn't go on the road for three weeks. Maybe if I went to Australia, I'd be gone for a week, but it didn't go, you know, um, you know, that, that wasn't, that was, and I didn't want that. I mean, there are a lot of people when they travel, they, they, it's like, they it's the circus. It's goodbye to your family. I didn't really have that. I didn't, I didn't, I had that at times, but never goodbye. I didn't see it for two months. It wasn't like that. It wasn't what I wanted. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
You've been very successful. What have you done with all your money? Well, um, I, I, I try to uh, live comfortably. Live, live, you know, I try to, you know, I think the American dream, whether America or the dream is to be able to live off your money and, you know, independent of making money. Right. And um, I think I've accomplished that. And um, so, and uh, I just try to uh, really, you know, uh, it's not like um, I have so much money where I can buy a baseball team, which would <laughs> be something that I would enjoy. But, um, you know, I, I, you know, it's, uh, most of my money, you know, just helps me live my life. That's all. It's just, it just give, gives me a lot of freedom. I mean, I make, you know, make good money now and I have a good lifestyle, but, um, you know, uh, nothing, just, just preserving myself. We, 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 we invest in certain charities. I take care of certain people. I have a, a brother who is uh, schizophrenic since, um, you know, uh, you know, you know it, it, that needs help. And care. So a lot of my, you know, some of my giving is taking care of my family in different, different situations. And um, so. Okay. Now you had a hard times at the beginning. There are people who are successful and it's all show and they don't count their pennies. On the other hand, there are people who never forget where they came from. Where are you at? Like if you say, okay, it's a gig. Yeah, I'm not flying commercial. Let's hire a plane. Where are you on that continuum? As far as, um, well, I would always choose to fly, fly privately when I can, especially in COVID times. But, um, you know, you know, it, it's um, some of the things that I've obtained materially, I would never work for them. I would never, like, um, bust my ass to have a Bentley. Or if, I, if, if, it, if it ended up happening by what I did, great. But it's not like, I would work for a car or I never worked to make money. And, you know, like I'm going to try to be rich. I never thought of that. That was never my goal. My goal was, this was everything that happened to me was a, a more of an outgrowth of me just doing my job well. And then I had to learn about money, but it wasn't, um, you know, I never was somebody who, had oh this is my dream my dream is to have this house or to own this place in florida i I never thought that way I, it just it was just what came out of the success of doing my job well it was never never thought about that let's assume you're on vacation you on the phone yes okay yes. I'm, I'm 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 24 7 i'm 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 neurotically on this is a business that nobody needs you i mean it's a it's a luxury business and if you're not available, you think I can sit there and get a phone call from a manager or um, and, and somebody and, and, and my response is, I'm sorry, I'm on vacation. You know, and, and when I when I started, I swore that nobody would outwork me, not that I, I would never lose my job because of my effort. And that still maintains. And as long as I want this, which I still do. That's what it takes. This is what, to me, this is what it takes to keep it together. I can get an email at 1030 on a Saturday night with an author. You know, am I responding right away? No, but I'm ultimately will, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the game, whatever it takes. That's, you know, I, I, I like my Sundays. I, I love Christmas. I love, you know, certain holidays where I don't think I'm going to be bothered. 
but you know, there are sometimes there's more that goes on on a Sunday that goes on on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. There are certain people that you did are communicating differently. So, um, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's just, it's all, you know, in, in a certain ways, a lot of my life and my family life has always revolved around my business and where does dad have to go? Where's, where's Billy working? Where's Def Leppard? The younger generation in the agency business and a lot of businesses can do everything via email. Older generation is all phone. Where are you in that game? I, 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 I am probably... I do, I do phone, but I do a lot of email. Matter of fact, my wife would would sit there with me and I can be on the beach and she'd say, oh, you're not getting that many calls. I've been off the email, you know? So yes, I'm emailing. As a matter of fact, what I do every night, and sometimes it's, it's painful because I don't go through all my emails during the day. I'm doing, I'm, I'm calling, I'm, I'm, I go, at night I sit there, I go through my emails and I make notes. I'm always making notes so I'm prepared for the next day. I have things to move along, different processes that I'm working on. So I'm always writing down lists of what I need to do the next day. But I, a lot of email. Email is taken over a lot. Uh, I speak on the phone a bit, but not nearly as much. It used to be all, obviously all phone. But I do a lot of emailing. Okay, we were sitting in the House of Blues at a Nugent concert like a decade ago, and you were telling me two things. You were telling me you were going to sell your company again, and you were also telling me you were going to do the monthly gig at Madison Square Garden with Billy. So that was your idea. Tell me that whole story where it is today. Well, the Billy, the Billy thing is, uh, well, but first of all, I did sell my company again to Ron. Right. And uh, so that, that, that did happen. And, uh, you know, and um, I'm, I'm very, I'm very proud of that. And I, and, and I've had a great relationship with Ron through these years. And, um, and, the, and the great thing. Wait, how often do you have contact with Ron? Sometimes I can, we, we email, you know, uh, sometimes I can email Ron several times, uh, you know, in a week. Sometimes we can go by, you know, not speak for a month. But the interesting thing is, is, and Ron is very good at letting his entrepreneurs be their entrepreneurs. So most people don't even know I have ownership. I am still perceived very much as an independent agent and an agency. And, uh, Ron, and, but, and, and that's, and that's perfect. I mean, if there's many times, like I say, and that's, and that's, I, I don't function much differently than I did prior to my relationship with Ron. And for that fact, even when it was with Bob Sullivan, because I'm in the kind of business, you can own my money, but you can't own me because I don't own me. I, my artists own me. I, my artists run my life, not me. So you can, there's only, you know, I, if, and if I don't represent my artists, well, I will lose them. So you need me to represent, so you can't control me because they do. And that's so, it's so I, I always, there's no such thing as owning me. You, you can own my money, but you can't own me because um, it, 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 it doesn't exist. I'm, um, you know, the artists are who supplies us with our income. Okay. The Billy story. So um, Billy played uh, closed Shea Stadium in 2008, which was, um, maybe the greatest gig 
of that I've ever been involved with in my life. I remember right after the gig, Bonnie and I flew down to Anguilla. It took us a week to come down. It was like it was just this electric high. I mean, um, you know, it was whether it was Steven Tyler and Don Henley and John Mayer and um it, it was just a uh, Roger Daltrey. It was just a, a who's who. And the, the funny thing about that is the Mets had um, come to us and we, 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 and they wanted us to play the year before at Shea Stadium and because um, they wanted McCartney to close. And I said, we're only playing Shea Stadium if we close. So, and, and if you don't get McCartney, you got nobody. <laughs> and, 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 and about, I don't know, six months later, they came back and said, you can close. <laughs> and um, I, ironically, McCartney did close because he came to Shea Stadium and, um, you know, ended the concert with Billy doing uh, Let It Be. And I saw her standing there. And I remember um, on, on the way home, Dave Howard, who was the med executive at the time who we made the deal with, he gets on the phone with me and says, hey, Dave, you got your cake and you ate it really close <laughs> and you got McCartney. So, but it was, well, that whole, the whole thing was just uh, spectacular. So here's Billy, who's so iconic in New York. How do you follow up Shea Stadium? We played Yankee Stadium, the old Yankee Stadium. We had played Giant Stadium, you know, multiple times with Elton John. What do you do? And... um and, 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 uh, so one night, um, I was in Turks and Caicos with my family and with Jay Marciano, who at that time was president of the garden and now obviously runs AEG. And, and out of that dinner evolved the idea of doing a once a month thing. And, uh, it didn't happen for a couple of years later. I remember Jay and I, we actually had a deal in place. And, uh, when we did it, um, you know, uh, and then the garden and Jay was now no longer there and the garden came and they talked about making Billy a franchise and the Knicks and the Rangers. And, and uh, you know, I, I believe we would sell out 12 the first year, which was in 2014. That I believe because in 2006, we had sold out 12. And I think the record at the time was uh, the dead had sold out like 13 or Bruce or whatever. And so the idea we once we went on that we would sell twenty four, two years once a month, and we sell nineteen thousand. We sell the whole building, but the idea that we could possibly sell twenty four was just amazing to me. Well, we did it. We sold out to twenty four, and now we're up to seventy. Um, we're, we're up to seventy three. We actually have six shows that have been rescheduled. Um, that were supposed to take place since the virus. So we're really up to 79 when we finish next April. We're starting this uh, again. Billy returns to the garden November 5th. So we would have, we have been at the garden for seven years. I mean, we've seen people go through college. We've seen people go from high school. They graduated. We've seen people have children. It's, you know, we say, hey, you watch seven years go by. And um, we are now up to, like I say, we finished the 79. He'll be up to his 80th show. There's something like 130-something lifetime, which I've been to every one of them. And um, it's, 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 uh, it's a phenomenon. And I, and I remember um, Billy saying to me at one point, 
are you sure this is going to work? <laughs> and, um, you know, it did. But I tell you the truth, as, as, as proud and as excited, and, 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 and first of all, it's so amazing to have an artist that you can represent. You can dream all you want, but I have somebody that can do it. I mean, that he's capable of doing that. He can actually draw. That's, you know, so the fact that Billy can do this, and, and it's always been my philosophy. I always wanted to do rock, uh, God, rock God things. Things that, that confirm who you are in the world. So if, 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 if you are playing um, uh, stadiums or doing what you do with the garden, it's, rock God, that's who you are. Uh, you know, that's, you know, and, I, and, and, and that you can do this, uh, these kind of events is, is, is very, very rarefied air. And so I always look to, to do that. I always look to prove who we are and who he is and show who he is. And, but the, one of the, the proudest things is that I am of, of him and his career is that he's a stadium act. I mean, we weren't a stadium act. I mean, this guy could sell a stadium anywhere, and it's whether it's Kansas City or Buffalo or Green Bay, and that with no hit record, but it's, it's all a testament to his body of work. But the idea that in the last eight years, we went for basically from an arena act to play, have to play every stadium anywhere is, is just, that is what I am most proud of, that he can do that. And that becomes that, that, that existed out there and that that's where he went. And we were able to do that with nothing, with nothing more than his catalog is a great testament to him. And it's something I'm just so proud about. Is he still into it? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, he's, um, you know, Billy doesn't get ever too high and too low, but yes, he's, I think he's very proud of it. I mean, uh, as Rapino said in his interview, yeah, something with you, you, you are what you can sell and what venues you can play. And, and, um, Hey, I do certain things because others can't. I mean, you know, we play, we, we played in Kansas city, the first show at Kaufman stadium where the Royals play baseball in 38 years. I heard that. I couldn't wait. What a hook 38 years were the first show and we blew it right out. So I like the way I like to do things like, Hey, when I hear Buffalo and I hear nobody sells that Buffalo over, Hey, we sold that Buffalo on the on sale. I, I mean, I like to do things. We played Fenway Park seven years in a row. We played Wrigley Field five years in a row. We played Citizens Bank Ballpark six years in a row. Why? Because nobody else can do that. You know, you can go there once. Can you go there every year and sell it out? And we're not the Grateful Dead or, we're, you know, we're not fish. We don't have that. So that's an amazing testament to his work. And um, so I love doing things that most don't or can't. Okay, most acts coming through New York City, they play Madison Square Garden for the status. They can't make any money. So I assume you have a special deal that this is lucrative for you and Billy. I would hope so. I mean, you know, not the... Okay, let's go back to history for a second. How did the Elton and Billy thing come together? And I know Billy needed an operation. Why did it never happen again? Well, it came together. I'll tell you, I remember one night we were in Toronto and I'm saying, hey, Billy, let's do some stadiums. And we were, you know, when he was like, 
well, I don't really think, I think we, I don't think it's a bang for the buck for the fan. We got to give them somebody else. We should be, we should put something together. So we're all sitting around and, um, and we came up with Elton and I said, okay, um, hey, Dennis, well, when went to call, we went to call Elton's people. So I call Howard Rose out of the blue. And this is exactly how the conversation went. I go, Howard, would you be interested in going out with us? And Howard goes, there's a pause on the phone. And he goes, how many nights do you think we could sell out Philadelphia? <laughs> that's Howard. <laughs> and, and, and we sold out three. And that's exactly how it, how it, it started. And, um, and actually, it was so unique in that. Uh, and I love Howard Rose. I mean, I, I do. I, I had a, he was such a wonderful partner through the whole process. And, um, and he represented Elton with the passion that I represented Billy and we were equal and there was never, and he, he never, and we, we were both, and we had arguments and all kinds of stuff, but he was as genuine to Elton as I was to Billy. And we were kind of both in the same position and it was, uh, it was just, uh, it was great. And we, we, you know, we, we, played stadiums like the tour I remember started in 94 at San Diego, um, Bill Silver presents. And, uh, it was, it was just an amazing, and today you couldn't, you couldn't put it together because they don't, they don't need each other. Financially, you can't afford it. What can you do? You can double the prices. You can't, it's almost economically not possible. Okay. Unless worldwide, who could sell more tickets, Elton or Billy? worldwide am i announcing a reunion too i mean I no 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 not i'm just asking no when they when you put the tour together okay i thought was elton was a bigger act we're not talking forget the music let's just talk selling tickets okay but now at this late date it looks like billy's the bigger act you know um el you know one thing like like i always believe with billy you know, uh, he was always an underdog. He never got the notoriety that Bruce, Michael Jackson, a lot of artists, Elton, you know, uh, you know, Billy was kind of, we just, he just won quietly up until the early nineties. He was the number one selling artist in, in America behind the Beatles. And, you know, now he hasn't put out a record since 93, but, um, but Elton, you know, Elton, you know, I would say probably at that time worldwide. I mean, we we had a lot of exchanges. There were different cities and different countries. I mean, um, Elton Elton played a lot more England, and you know his touring was different. He'd play in many different kind of venues. It wasn't like Elton was just touring stadiums throughout Europe, and then we came along. He would play all kinds of different venues and and things that that you know he, that, that that Billy would do. So. I think at the time it was, um, it worked for both of them. They both could, it just, it, it took them up a level. We kind of, in the Billy world, we did the arenas, we did the multiple arenas. We needed to go to another level. And um, it wasn't like we were necessarily having a hit record. This was the next level. And um, hey, listen, a lot of artists emulated that package. That was the home of, the, uh, of two of the greats and uh 
you know, you'll probably never see it again. At least, it, it, you know, I mean, you can never say never. I know Billy and Elton are still close or still still communicate to each other, but it's it's just um, you know uh, you know they they they're both you know it's just it both doing uh, amazing at this time. I mean, Billy was uh, Elton now on his retirement tour has done spectacular business, and uh, and Billy, hey, quietly has done. Amazing. I mean, Billy is, is, this is what you aspire to be, is what Billy Joel is doing. Okay. Two best shows you ever saw. Led Zeppelin at the Fillmore East when I was 19. I was sitting in the seventh row and they were headlining for the first time in America and they had to prove it. That is still a memory. I mean, it was like the greatest four musicians I've ever seen. Robert Plant was the ultimate front man, sexy, you know, he shook his jeans. I was a guy who I had just like this guy. I mean, you know, it was like, wasn't my thing, but, you know, every girl wanted to fuck him. And, you know, uh, and, you know, Paige and Bonham and Jones, it was just, Bonham was, it was just incredible. And, um, you know, I, I certainly, I, I, Billy at Shea Stadium, was uh it was as, as great as it can be bruce at the bottom line i saw bruce at the bottom line in 74 and he, he juggled i'm talking about the year before born to run yeah bruce when it was an amazing moment that he was a guy playing this 400 seat club and he was breaking around the world as a superstar and it was like all coming from this little club. It was just, uh, you know, so that, that was probably an amazing moment of watching a, an artist being celebrated in this bar that was now becoming a, a worldwide phenomena. But, you know, Billy at Shea Stadium was, uh, you know, uh, like I say, I said before, it took me a week to come down from that. But, um, and, but Zeppelin at, uh, and I was a major Doors fan. I went to, I saw the Doors, um, multiple times in my, um, in my life. And I, it was Jim Morrison was a very big influence. You know, who was actually one of the great influences in my life was Terry Knight. Really? Terry Knight in the pack. Oh, but Terry what, Knight. But, but wasn't he a crook? Well, I don't, I can't speak for what he did internally. And I, I, you know, but I, but he took a band and those days, in those days you had to either be from England or San Francisco. You had to, you know, it was, it was, um, you know, you had to get radio play. You had to be hip. And he took three guys from Michigan who got no airplay, who look, who were supposed to be uncool. And, and they got, and, and, he, and they became the biggest band in the world. They sold out Shea Stadium in 72, faster than the Beatles. And his campaign, I mean, I emulated, and I still do, and I remember one time, Chef Gordon and I, when, we, when he was talking about the Alice Cooper campaign, we talked about Terry Knight. But I emulated what this guy does, what he did, and I still use some of the things that he did. He'd buy six pages in Billboard or Cashbox in those days with pictures of the guys. And I would go, and I, you know, and I was one of those, at the time, I was a student learning. And I was like, they have to be big. Look at this. You know, <laughs> I mean, he sold me on how big they were before they were. And I've used through the years 
some of his strategies in the marketing and the making of, of an artist. It was like, if you tell the industry, they will tell the public. That's your best shot. So, uh, but he did, I remember one time on the Close to the Home album, he took his billboard out on Times Square. It was just huge. And there was a painter strike. Their, their pictures were hanging on that billboard for months. And it was just, it was like only people that were stars, big stars would get this. And they weren't yet, but they had to be. So he sold me and I bought into it. And, and years later, I represented them for a while. I represented them to kind of when it was the end of the grand fund, when Mark, Donnie, and Mel were still all together. And David Fishoff was managing them at the time. I had a chance of, of representing them for a while. And it was so, and I was a fan. It was one of the few times I was like, really, I'm such a fan. But I was a fan of the phenomena. Okay. If you got the original members back together, is there a demand for that? Today, I, you mean for, for Grand Funk? Right. Today, uh, you know, um, there's some demand. I mean, um, you know, uh, it, it's it's kind of been warded down over the years. I don't know. Um, uh, you know, I'm sure I, I, it certainly wouldn't be the demand that it was in its prime. You know, it's not like uh, some other combinations would, would that if, if this member came back to the band, it would enhance them. Anybody you have who you don't represent that you'd like to represent, will you have a vision of how to do it? Oh, I think that all the time. I'm I'm a, I'm a student. I think of things of, of I, 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 I wouldn't say that because I'd like the artist to hear it, but I, it wouldn't really be fair. But I think of certain artists that should be doing things that would enhance them if they're doing arenas, why they're, how they can get to stadiums, what they're not doing. Uh, oh, absolutely. I definitely see that. I mean, I definitely think I can help move some people's career to, hey, Leopard and Motley playing in stadiums. Def Leppard's playing stadiums for the second tour in a row in America. I mean, you know, and making huge money. I mean, that wasn't happening. Now there's a perception. Def Leppard's a fucking huge band and, 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 and crew. So, you know, but there's definitely things that um, I would love to do if I had the opportunity to, you know, that's, you know, make help enhance people to be bigger, make, make moves. Def Leppard leaves Q Prime, goes to Howard Kaufman. How do you remain the agent? I used to go to L.A. When you, when you said to me um, earlier, you said, um, you know, did you go on the street? Did you go to clubs? I visited managers, and I used to visit Howard. And I didn't have any clients with him, but he would see me. And, um, and then when, you know, when Leppard left and went to Howard, Howard stayed with me. That's that, uh, you know, just from those meetings, he stayed with me. And um, I became very close to Howard. We'd be, you know, as a matter of fact, he gave me poison. He really admired my work. We had a very good relationship. And, um, um, you know, he, uh, you know, I was fortunate. I, I could have lost it at that moment, but um, he stayed with me. That's as simple as that. And then when he passed, Mike Kobayashi has done a great job with the band. Uh, you know, it, everything's, you know, um, Mike and I have a great relationship and he's helped elevate. I mean, Howard, rest in peace. He'd be sitting here rooting Mike and me on like you guys have done such a great job taking it, taking the mantle. 
to the next step, and we're so proud of it. On that note, I think we're going to end for today. This has been wonderful, Dennis. You know, I wanted to do you because you're open and honest. You hold no punches. Thanks so much for taking the time. Bob, a lot of fun. It was nice listening to myself tell all these things because I never do. But it was it was cool. I like I had fun. Thank you, Bob. Till next time, this is Bob Left Sense. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.